0: It's time now for The Complete Story with Rich and Dick Bott, a public news and information feature of Bot Radio Network to keep you informed about the most important issues of our day. Now, here is Rich and Dick Bott with today's Complete Story.
1: You know, Rich, especially today, I appreciate you uh, reminding us that it's the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King. It's so easy for secular society to forget that, and so easy for everybody to forget that. But his daddy was a preacher and a wonderful pastor in Atlanta, and then he was pastor. Martin Luther King was pastor at Montgomery Avenue Baptist Church.
2: Dexter Avenue Baptist Dexter Church in Avenue. Montgomery, Alabama.
1: And it's the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King. Now, everybody has a dream, don't they? Everybody yes, has a dream. This is his dream, and he said it. Let's listen. I have a dream
3: that my four little children will one day live in a nation where they will not be judged by the color of their skin, but by the content
1: of their character. I have a dream today. Well, you know what, Rich? Isn't that something that should be everybody's dream? Isn't it something... That should
2: have been the dream of everyone at that time, certainly the Lord's people. Well, sure, because we all come together at the foot of the cross. Exactly,
1: and there's one nation, one blood, as Ken Ham so well tells that story right now. But tell the folks now what we're going to hear.
2: Oh, well, we are delighted to present this, uh, this audio version of taking down the ropes. And, Dad, this is an amazing history between the Billy Graham Evangelistic Association and the Civil Rights Movement that was led by Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King back in those early days. I tend to think of both of those ministries as silos, but, in fact, they interacted with one another. Yes, they
1: did. Now, folks, you see, this is history.
2: This is really, really
1: important because men who love the Lord and want to do the right thing. They find each other and they find a way to work together, but people don't know this. So when Billy Graham was having his big crusade in Little Rock, Arkansas, he recognized immediately something isn't right. All right, Rich, can we hear this now? Let's go.
4: We've had a cross burning here. I want to say something about that. Anybody that would take the cross of Jesus Christ that is a symbol of God's love and use it as a symbol of hate, as a symbol of prejudice, he's not only sinning against society, but he's sinning a terrible sin against God and may God have mercy upon you and his judgment.
5: I have some very sad news for all of you, and I think, uh, sad news for all of our fellow citizens and people who love peace all over the world, and that is that Martin Luther King was shot and was killed tonight. In
6: Graham, I believe you've just been informed of the tragic death of Dr. Martin Luther King, Jr.
5: Yes, and uh, I was just informed about uh, five minutes ago, and uh, it comes as one of the greatest shocks of my entire life. His friends called him Mike, and uh, that's the way I knew him.
7: Billy and Martin were good friends, very good friends. And a lot of whites damned Billy for that. They said, why would you hook yourself up with a communist? He's no good. Billy said, no is my brother because Billy told him there was a time when I didn't take a stand for the race problem and I preached to segregated audiences but I got to know Martin Luther King and I felt what he felt and I took a stand for an open crusade.
5: We demanded integration almost from the beginning of our meetings in the south. And as a result, I think that this laid a groundwork at that time. Now, today, it's almost impossible for the present generation to understand what things were in those days and what it took to be that way, and how many threatening letters we got and uh, how many threats against my family as a result of the stand that we took
8: at that time. I think both Dr. Graham and my father uh, were trying to make the world a better place.
4: There is no excuse ever for hatred. There is no excuse ever for bigotry and intolerance and prejudice. We are to love as God loved
3: us. We don't need any guns. Ah. We don't need any bullets. Yeah. We don't need any physical ammunition. We have a power.
9: Yeah.
3: All we need is to pick up the ammunition of love. Yeah. Yeah. in our hands, the weapons of justice. Yeah. Yeah. Then put on the breastplate of righteousness and the whole armor of, of God, and that's not
8: They were different, obviously, in their style and their approach, but I think their heart and their goal was the same.
0: Billy's first public act against racial segregation took place in the summer of 1952 at his Jackson, Mississippi crusade. At the time, it was common practice for ropes to separate the white from the black sections.
5: He walked into the crusade and they had ropes up. Billy saw them. Blacks were supposed to sit back of that and uh, the whites would sit in front. Uh, I was uh, appalled at it and decided that I had to speak out on it and had to do something about it. I said, no more of this. And uh, I went to the head usher and asked him if he would remove the. Uh, ropes and he said no he wouldn't. Billy got up from the platform and he walked down past the ushers and took the ropes down himself. And I remember that the head usher resigned and there was quite a little flack about that. That was a historic moment in history with the church and that opened up his friendship with the Martin Luther King and other people and he really practiced what he preached.
0: In a 1956 article published in Life magazine, in which Billy made a plea for an end to intolerance, he wrote, it is not sufficient to urge people to love their neighbor unless we lead them also to the capacity to love. Christ gives men this capacity.
8: His approach was more of trying to get people into the relationship with Christ, that that would transform their mindset and and the way in which they live. So they would see people differently. Um, and thus treat people differently.
10: Everybody's calling is not the same. And Mr. Graham's calling is the proclamation of the gospel in which um, if he can reach men's hearts through the Spirit of God, that can change a man's whole life completely.
0: Billy's burden to end the blight of racism through evangelism continued to motivate his actions. This would be evident during the early days of the 1957 New York crusade. In New York, Mr. Billy Graham makes a dramatic denunciation.
4: There's something wrong with human nature. What is it in the nature of men that causes men to lie and hate and cheat steal and lust and have pride and bigotry and intolerance and racial intolerance? What is it that causes men to have these terrible things down inside of
7: them? Billy had said, I'm reaching 28,000 people every night at Madison Square Garden. The place is packed and jammed. But he said, I'm frustrated, I'm concerned, and I'm not reaching people of color. And he said, I don't want this to be a white man's crusade. He said, Howard, What must I do? I said, there's one thing you could do. He said, what? I said, go where they are. He said, I'll go. So one Sunday afternoon, we went up there. I made all the arrangements. We were going to have at Salem Methodist Church, a large church in in Harlem. And we ended up with 8,000 people there that afternoon. Then the next Sunday, we went to Brooklyn. 10,000 people turned out. Then they preached, they responded. He said, will you come? They said, Billy, since you came to Brooklyn, we're gonna come to Madison Square Garden. And that was the beginning of the change of the racial climate at Madison Square Garden. There was a browning, a coloring of that tremendous crowd. During the New York crusade, another very interesting thing happened. One night he invited uh, Martin Luther King to come and pray. And again, he got some nasty letters. They said, why do you want to have that in preacher here? Again, Billy said, I don't care. I'm going to do what's right. So that night, Martin came. He sat on the platform right next to Billy. So Martin got up and prayed. I have never heard that man pray a prayer like he prayed. And he really touched heaven, so to speak.
4: Tonight, we're delighted to have from Montgomery, Alabama, Dr. Martin Luther King, the minister of the Dexter
3: Avenue Baptist Church. Heavenly Father, out of whose mind this great cosmic universe has been created, we come recognizing our dependence on thee. We stand amid the forces of truth and yet we deliberately lie. We stand amid the compelling urgency of the Lord of love that's exemplified in the life of Jesus Christ. And yet we live our lives so often in the dungeons of hate. For all of these sins, O God forgive. We thank thee this evening for the marvelous things which have been done in this city. Through the dynamic preaching of this great evangelist, we ask thee, O oh God, to continue blessing him. Give him continued power and authority. And as we listen to him tonight, grant that our hearts and spirits will be open to the divine inflow. All of these things we ask in the name of Him who taught us to pray. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be Thy name.
8: Well, I think with Dr. Graham and Dr. King on the same platform, more than likely sent a very powerful message, especially to those in the South.
10: And that took courage, a lot of courage on their part, as a matter of fact, because it could put their lives in danger as well. A lot of things that the black pastors didn't know was that Mr. Graham had helped Martin Luther King in many, many areas with regard to his imprisonment and paying of fines and, and uh, that kind of thing and encouragement along the way. It wasn't something Mr. Graham did for his own prominence and to get uh, press interviews out of it, but it was something he did because of his concern for justice and uh, his desire to help people, but he did it in his way.
0: From Eisenhower to Kennedy to Johnson and then Nixon, Billy worked closely with all these presidents, encouraging them to take steps to end racial segregation.
5: When they tried to integrate Central High School in Little Rock, Arkansas, that was 1957, and uh, President Eisenhower called me on the phone, and he said, Billy, did you see the picture in the paper this morning of uh, the black man being kicked uh, down on the street in uh, Little Rock? And I said, yes, sir, I did. He said, I'm thinking we're gonna to have to send some troops in there to hold that down and to stop that. He said, uh, what do you think about it? I said, well, I don't think you have any alternative. I said, it can't go on like it's going now, and something dramatic has to take place.
0: Billy also offered to hold a crusade in the troubled city, but the local committee thought it would be impossible at that time. When the meetings did take place two years later, their impact would prove to be far-reaching.
11: Almost 50 years ago, my Sunday school teacher took me to Little Rock to hear Billy Graham's crusade. The schools were closed because of Little Rock Central High School integration crisis. The White Citizens Council in Little Rock tried to convince, even to pressure, Billy Graham and all of his people to preach to a segregated audience. And he told them that if they insisted on that, he would cancel the crusade and tell the whole world why. So here we were with neighborhood after neighborhood after neighborhood in my state on the verge of violence. And yet tens of thousands of black and white Christians there together in a football stadium. And when he issued the call at the end of the message, thousands came down holding hands, arm in arm, crying. It was the beginning of the end of the Old South in my home state. I will never forget it. I had
4: the privilege of being at the White House at a party. The night the civil rights bill was passed and Hubert Humphrey came in about nine or 10 o'clock. He was very tired and he came straight over to me. And he said, "Billy," he said, this bill will never really be implemented unless it comes from here. And he said, this is the job of you and the children, to help bring about love in the hearts of the people. I believe that the answer to our great moral problems, our social problems, lies in the gospel of Christ and the transformation that he can bring. We need legislation, yes, but legislation cannot improve the morals of America alone or our social problems alone must come from something deeper because our problem is basically spiritual. We've passed all the civil rights laws that you, can, you can't You can think of anything hardly they haven't passed. But that hasn't made everybody love each other automatically. But the fruit of the Spirit is love. By this shall all men know that you are my disciples in that you have love one to another. That is a supernatural love given to you by God when you receive Christ. Jesus said, follow me. Come and change the world with me.
8: I think I remember him as someone who opened my eyes to the simplicity of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I respected him for being genuine and authentic and not pretentious. I've listened to a lot of preachers in my life and sometimes I'm like, I hear your words, but your spirit doesn't seem to connect. Dr. Graham's spirit uh, connected with the word that he delivered.
1: Yeah. Well, you see, Rich, that, that was the voice of Bernice King. Yes. Who was a uh, Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King's uh, daughter.
2: Yes. And uh, that's powerful, isn't it? Oh, isn't it powerful? Yeah. So we heard from Bernice King, and there also was the voice of Cliff Barrows and Howard Jones from the Billy Graham Evangelistic Association, and so many others. And the thing that I love about that is it tells the story of Christians working together. See, that's what's on
1: my mind and in my heart right now. When will we ever learn, as people who know and love the Lord, to work together together? and respect each other, and honor each other. This is the problem, isn't it? And it's a sin problem. It is absolutely Satan's way of dividing people and pulling them into their own little clique, their own little box, and not worrying about the other guy. And then, of course, the schools start running rampant, don't they? Mm -hmm. Well, tell me now, there is a song that I just love by Wintley Phipps, Tell the folks about
2: oh, it. Oh, my goodness. Uh, this is special, folks. Uh, Amazing Grace, as only Wintley Phipps could do it. And well, he tells t- the history of the song and what it means, and then he sings it in such a powerful is, who way. Who is
1: Wintley Phipps? See, people think it's Wintley Phipps. It isn't. It's Wintley Phipps.
2: has an N in it. Yeah. Wintley Phipps. So tell him. Oh, well, I don't know how to describe him if you don't know who he is, but he's just an amazingly powerful an uh, African-American gospel singer that is also just terrifically trained and a powerful voice. I'd
1: love to have him on A Complete Story sometime. Here it is.
6: An old black lady down south showed me something about the Negro spirituals and I want to share it with you. Did you know all, just about all Negro spirituals are written on the black notes of the piano? <laughs> this is absolutely true. You can go home tonight and play almost any Negro spiritual. Just play the black notes on the piano. You look skeptical. Now, you can't see it out there, but I want you to watch. Watch. There are five black notes on the piano. And those same five black notes just keep recurring. And you can go home tonight and play almost any Negro spiritual. Just play the black notes. Watch. You know that? Every time I feel the spirit, just black nose. Watch this. That's because the slaves didn't come to America with do, re, mi, fa, sol, la, di, do. That's somebody else's sketch, okay? All they had in their musical scale were those five black notes. We know it in music as the pentatonic scale. And they built the power and pathos of the Negro spiritual on five notes. When you study music, you also come across what are known as white spirituals. Did you know that? And they are white composers who work with those, that scale. In early America, they used to call this the slave scale. And I'm going to play for you what some musicologists think is the most famous white spiritual built on the slave scale or just the black notes. Anybody tonight know who wrote that song? I heard it, a man by the name of John Newton. But do you know what John Newton did before he became a Christian? He was the captain of a slave ship. And many believe heard this melody that sounds very much like a West African sorrow chant. And wrote the words, Amazing Grace, and set his words to a slave melody I looked up that song I believe God wanted that song written just the way it was written just so that we would be reminded that as Christians whether black or white free or bond in his eyes we're all connected we are connected and we are connected by God's amazing grace connected by God's amazing grace I looked up that song in the Library of Congress I looked up I went to the Library of Congress I looked up that song and wherever you see it authentically printed you know what it says words John Newton melody unknown Tell the Lord, when I get to heaven, I want to meet Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, but boy, I want to meet that slave called unknown. And, I, and I, I, I recorded that song the way I hear it when I sing it. I still hear the sounds of the slave ships in the water. I want to sing it for you the way John Newton probably first heard it coming up out of the belly of the ship. Listen.
9: Now I'm found Was blind. But now I see
1: I think what this program is about, on this day especially, is to remind people that Christ himself said that it most important is to love God uh, with all your soul, with all your might, and so on and so forth. And then he said, and the second is like unto it, just as important, you see, that you love your neighbor as yourself. This has been the failing of the church down through the decades, hasn't it?
2: Yes, wasn't that powerful? Amazing Grace by Wintley Phipps, Dad. And you know, that was performed at Carnegie Hall. We forgot to let people know that that was before a live audience at Carnegie Hall.
1: Well, I'd like to have Wintley Phipps on. You know, Rich, there are so many wonderful people who are alive today who live during the day of Martin Luther King. Mm -hmm. Uh, Wonderful people. I want to take time sometime to talk about how he got that name. Oh, yeah. Because his name was Michael at first because he was junior and his father had been studying the Reformation and he understood that Martin Luther was such a person who could take a stand for that which was right and he changed his name to Martin Luther King, Sr. So naturally then his little boy was changed to Martin Luther King, Jr. But there's a lot of history that people just simply don't know. And maybe we can help them know that. But it all boils down to this. What is our dream? What is our dream?
2: That's right. And this is what... Dr. Martin Luther King, Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King, said about that.
1: Here it is. I
3: have a dream that my four little children will one day live in a nation where they will not be judged by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character.
1: I have a dream today. Well, okay, Rich, what would you add?
2: Hey, I I mentioned this before on a previous program, but Mahalia Jackson, the great gospel singer, she has this wonderful quote. She said, I sing God's music because it makes me feel free, she said, about gospel music. It gives me hope with the blues. When you finish, you still have the blues. That's where our hope is. Our hope is in Jesus. Our hope is in the cross of Christ.
1: This is Dick Bott with this special day uh, with a complete story, and I'll see you later.